In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to just notice your breath in this moment. The breath is really the eternal blessing of the infinite. A complete and obvious demonstration of how we are supported. The Hindus call it Brahma, the breath of life, the breath of God. And that breath can take us and ground us, comfort us, heal us. And so I invite you to open yourself in this moment, wherever you're feeling any tension, or where you're holding on in any way, shape, or form, just breathe into it for a moment. Slow down. And so, in that slowing down, I invite you to allow my words to be your words. What does not fit in any way, shape, or form, whether intellectually or physically or emotionally, I invite you to just let it wash over you. And so I affirm and know in this moment on behalf of Myself and anyone in agreement that, that there's one life, one power, one activity. And that activity is the principle, the divine activity of the presence of spirit in and through and as each and every one of us. And so I'm so grateful to affirm that and to know that, to be blessed by beautiful music this day, by eyes to see this beautiful landscape, ears to hear the notes, the silence, the words, the conversations. Arms to hug, to hold, hands to reach out and to build and create with. And so all of the blessings are so apparent and I'm so grateful. So I circulate gratitude in my heart and my beingness knowing that all is well and all is right. That this eternal journey of our souls is being fulfilled in each and every moment as Dr. Holmes talked about. And it is my opportunity this day to wake up even more and to become that even greater example in the humility and the grace and the service to the infinite, to the divine, to God. And so I'm so grateful to know that everything necessary, everything that is seeking my attention and everything that is mine to think, do, and say is made clearer and clearer each moment. I give myself to that more and more with great gratitude and appreciation, devotion, and love. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. So as some more people join us, I'm going to change batteries. I forgot to do it between, so... I'll, be, I'll look like this for a little bit. Thank you, Bill, for giving me that battery. So today is my, my joy and honor to talk about this, this theme of the lion lies down with the lamb. But before I get into that, I'm going to invite you to do a little spiritual practice together right now. I'm going to invite you to stand up and find somebody to interact with in a meaningful way. Come on, Chris, you and I will you and, you and be partners. Come on. So I want you to look that person in the face. And say, thank you for being here today. 
Thank you for being alive on the planet at this point in time. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal. And you have potential to fulfill. Let's make the world a better place. And so it is. Beautiful. Can I have a hug? Oh, thank you, Chris. Sweet. My favorite part of Sunday right there. All right. So we've got some uh, our talk titles up there. I want to get right into uh, the discussion with you today. As soon as I find my right page. There we go. So this whole idea the lion lies down with the lamb. We'll click. We're, we're going through some technical challenges. Our roof leaks and it leaked all over our, our keyboard. So we're on. We have a new keyboard. And we'll just keep buying keyboards as long as it keeps raining. So there, you go ahead, nature. There's, there's more keyboards than they got raindrops, as far as I'm concerned. But actually, it comes from Isaiah. And Isaiah was a, a great and renowned uh, prophet. And the actual quote is right there. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So Isaiah wrote that somewhere around 600 to 500 B.C. That's what they know. And uh, what he was talking about was the golden age. He was talking about an era or a, a time period where there would be no death, there would be no hunger, there would be no suffering. And so he was predicting this, and he, of course his audience was the tribes of Israel at the time that, that was informing that. And so this idea that, and that, that someone was going to come and lead that way, that there would be a, this earthly king that would... So when Jesus showed up, you know, a lot of the tribe of Israel looked at him and said, nah, but, but many did. But the idea was that he became attached to this prophecy, that there would be this, this golden age. And what it was reflecting in terms of what Isaiah, what Isaiah was interpreting was this would be a tender root. It would be a, a tender shoot or a root. But it's a new covenant. And the idea be, it would be that the tribes of Israel would come into a, a, a period, a golden age of peace with all of their enemies. And so it was an ideal that still hasn't been fulfilled upon the planet. But it's also a metaphor. Because as we would, as Dr. Holmes would interpret it, and many of the, I think, great thinkers of, of, the, uh, of all time would say, within all of us is a lion and a lamb. And if we live from our lion all the time, I think a great example of living from the lion all the time would be one of the candidates uh, that is running for the presidency of the United States right now. That everything that, when, well, the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail, is what I would say. And so this idea of, of self-asserting uh, ourselves and choosing and this proactive energy. But eventually what happens when we're constantly in our lion, this aggressive nature of moving forward, is we reach a point, I think, of exhaustion. And we feel overextended. Anybody ever done that? Push and push and push. Work as hard as you can. And so what it's an example of is that tr true spiritual living is lying down with the, having a place within ourselves for the lion and the lamb to reside. Because the lamb is the one that's the vulnerable one. The lamb is the, 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 the vulnerability, the, um, the kindness, the nurturing quality. Uh, and too much of the lamb can put us right into victimhood. 
where it looks like the world is overwhelming. I think one of the examples you see many times, and uh, you know, I think in, in a very small way, I see it being played out sometimes in this community, is that, that people will look to the ministers having a lot of the answers. What, the beautiful thing about what I do is I don't have any of your answers. But many times people think I do. So tell me what to do. And I'll say, well, what do you think you should do? Well, that's no help. I need somebody that can tell me what to do. So you see a whole faction of this, the, the culture that are looking to one person that represents a new idea. And so it's fascinating to watch that because it's where is their, their responsibility uh, play in all this? So the abdication of responsibility can be a, a, a signpost of the, the lambness of life. And yet we need both. We need the vulnerability. We need the creativity. We need to, to listen deeply. And so the poetry can come through us. So the ideas can express themselves. But if we're always running and driven, it's not the other end of the spectrum. So how do we live in that, that balance because the lamb, what's not popular for many, is it's okay to ask for affection. It's okay to expect love. What would the world look like if we could all open up and receive all the love that is seeking us? If God truly says, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom and I love you unconditionally, why do we not open to that more? But it requires vulnerability for the grace of the divine to be present in our lives. And as I speak to it, I can feel it move, speak these words, I can feel it move through me. It's fascinating. But it's just, and, and, and I think for many it's so uncomfortable. The, the, the divine experience is one of spaciousness. It's mystery. It's, it's not like we all of a sudden know everything. I've been reading over and over the life of St. Francis because I'm very inspired by him. I'm just, I feel a kinship with St. Francis. But St. Francis's journey was just, a, it, it was constant growth for him, constant struggle. You know, his father, he drove his father crazy. His father was a very wealthy uh, tradesperson. He sold fabric and cloth, and he, would, he did very well. And he adorned uh, his son beautifully. And his son went out, go out, would go out and sell all the clothes. And then he would give the money away to, to someone else. His father actually came one day and said, I want that money. That's my money. I gave you that stuff. Give it to me now. So Francis went back and gave his dad the money. And, you know, his dad just didn't know what to do. He was beside himself. But Francis knew in his heart that he was called to a different path. And he followed that. In his, his life, to read it, goes on and on and on. So this idea that, so this, the lion and the lamb is just the, the living in spiritual maturity and spiritual knowing. And sometimes we need our lion. And sometimes we need our lamb. And to have the awareness to say, this is, oh, lamb time. Or lion time. You know, I was, we, we redid our backdrop here a couple of weeks ago, and I had some volunteers, and being a reform, uh, recovering carpenter, we got the tools out. But if we just stayed in the lamb consciousness and, and, and looked into one another's eyes lovingly and said, you're God. Oh, no, you're more God than I am. No, you're more God than I am. That pile of wood would still be sitting here. So we needed a little bit of lion to get it done as well. Do you know what I mean? It takes both, the planning, the artistry, and then execution. So I know you understand that. So there's three things I want to share with you today. One is living in freedom. What does that freedom look like? And then talking about that lion and the lamb, that the sense of freedom. The other, living consciously and then facing the big one. So today we're going to face the big one. So living in freedom. There we go. See that? And, and there it is, that brand new tennis shoe. Remember the start of the year I used to get, you know, we had a lot of kids in our family. So we got one pair of shoes every year. And I remember getting the tennis shoes every year. Well, we got two pairs. I got tennis shoes and sh- uh, shoes to go to school. But um, So what happens with us when we're not living in freedom is many times we get stuck. We get stuck along the way. 
So the next picture will illustrate that, I think. So does that look like you? Have you ever done that? I was thinking about handing out bubble gum today, but I thought, oh, the floor will be just covered with this stuff. And you guys will be way too literal on this, so no, bu- no bubble gum. But, but what happens is, many of us, is we just step into it, and we realize, and it slows us down, and it sticks us, we're stuck to it. And we understand it's the past, but then what'll happen is someone will say, here's a new opportunity, here's a possibility, we're here to fulfill our potential. But because of the, that, that uh, kinesthetic memory of where we stored the heartbreak and the disappointment and the betrayal and the falling short, we step right back into the gum. I can't do that, I can't go there with you, I'm, I'm back here with the gum. And I think it's a great metaphor, a great example of how it's so easy to just not pursue it because I keep stepping back into it. Dr. Holmes said this, Dr. Ernest Holmes. He said, yesterday is forever past. We cannot relive it. No matter how much we may regret yesterday, it is impossible to live it over again. But too often in our imagination, we do not live it. We do live it over and over again. I, can, I do that. I'll pull it up and I'll go through it again. And, and, and I, I, like it was yesterday. Anybody else have that beautiful capacity? That's the power of the imagination. That, oh, that dirty, rotten so-and-so. <sighs> Remember like it was yesterday. Ah. And, then, and, then, and then it's not just the memory. It's that kinesthetic feeling that gets triggered within us. And so what happens when we don't keep living it over and over again? I mean, that is true spiritual maturity and mastery, to not live it over and over again. Or to resolve it in some capacity. You know, what needs to get expressed or what needs to get said to help free that? There's a wonderful quote here by Art Buckwald. And I don't know if you remember Art. Art was a wonderful humorist and author. He died in 2007. And he wrote in, uh, I think he lived in New York and wrote there. But Art had this to say about the past. I think it's true today as it was when he wrote this. We seem to be going through a period of nostalgia where everyone thinks yesterday was better than today. Have you noticed that? I mean, after the Republican convention, they were interviewing people because one of the themes was, let's make America great. And then they'd ask the delegates, well, when was America great? And some people said, well, when the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776. That was the greatest time. And then they, they, the uh, interviewer would say, oh, yeah, when we still had slavery and, and women were marginalized. And, well, no, 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 if you're going to go there on me, come on. And then, of course, it was 1980, and then the interviewer said, oh, crack cocaine era. No, well, you know, the music was great anyway. It was very interesting because everybody's perception was different. Everybody's idea of what was great, when it was great, was different. Not one person, because, of course, they were all talked to independently. So I think that group of people should get together and decide when it was great so we can all have a, something to point to. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a mis- it's a fantasy. Life is what life is. And, and, and it's, it's, it's great or it's not great. There's, of course, there's a, we can always do better. Of course, we can improve. But to try and recreate the past is just folly. So Buckwald says, we seem to be going through a period of nostalgia where everyone thinks yesterday was better than today. I don't think it was. And I would advise you not to want to wait 10 years to admit that today was great. <laughs> huh? And 10 years ago, man, where, I, where is that minister? <laughs> Oh, he fell off a ladder one day, cracked his head open. That was great. That was a great talk. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get him back here? Yeah, well, they'll be wheeling me in in a wheelchair. <laughs> Have a little tape recorder underneath me. I'll just move my mouth. Look like I'm still talking. 
But he suggests, pretend today was yesterday. Pretend today was yesterday. And just go out and have one hell of a time. Yeah, so let's pretend, pretend today was yesterday. I love that. But it's so, it's so easy and interesting to, to rely on, on what we think was the good old days. And in fact, you know, it's, and, it, and it's lovely to honor that. There's so many great things that, that, that did happen. But that was then and this is now. I have this uh, picture I want to share with you, and it's a picture of a ring of tree, the tr- the tree rings. And so I was putting this together, and I found all these great pictures of tree rings, and all different, and I was, had them all going, and oh my gosh, I drive people crazy with tree rings. So I just put one up today, and it's a picture of, of Douglas fir, which is a really wonderful wood. And being an old woodworker and carpenter, I have a great appreciation for wood. I used to spend hours in my shop in sawdust and making sure that the, the boards were straight and true and lined up and all that, and it's a lot of, a lot of detail work. But the, the, the interesting thing about living, living um, being present in our, our lives and, is that a tree, a tree has all these rings, and each ring represents a season of growth. And we all know that. We can go back and measure how old a tree is just simply by cutting it down, which kind of defeats the purpose, in my opinion, but we can measure the life of a tree. And there's different densities of wood. There's pine and there's poplar. Poplar it, it grows like a weed. Poplar grows very fast. And because it grows very fast, it's very soft. So you don't see a lot of fine woodworking done out of poplar. But it's still a great wood for various things. If you're going to build something in, in a paint-grade material, you would use poplar or pine, maybe alder, because they're softer woods. They're not as expensive because it doesn't take as long for them to mature. But trees like cherry and hickory, hickory is like impossible to work with. I, in my cabinet shop, when everybody, people would order hickory, I'd have to go out and buy a number of saws, saw blades to cut it because they would just get dull so fast. It's so hard. And mahogany, I couldn't do mahogany. I have an allergy to mahogany. It's, it, there's something in it that makes me itch. So I do these mahogany jobs and then I would scratch for weeks and I'd, I don't think I can do mahogany. So when a customer would say, I love mahogany, I'd say, wow, well, you know, you know, it's a better wood than mahogany. Whatever it was, it didn't matter because I wasn't going to build it out of mahogany. But I knew there's, there's something in it that I have a reaction to. But Trees are such a beautiful example of what we teach. Because a tree has the rings, and there'll be knots in a tree where the branches were, and sometimes it'll be, it'll be uh, scarred with a fire. You know, the trees are amazing. You know, the, the native Indians and, and, um, and the indigenous people would burn the prairies because they knew that the, the prairies would grow back even richer. And that would scar the trees. And sometimes, and that, sometimes it'd be a forest fire, but there would be signs of that in the tree ring. And then, of course, the tree would grow another ring in that next growing season. And so that may be back in their history. Ten years ago, it could be the tree had a, there was a fire in this area, and it, was, and it uh, impacted the rings of the, that tree. But a tree, when you say to a tree, hey, how you do, you know, I mean, let's impose personality on a tree, but a tree doesn't go back ten years to say, I can't do that. We need to cut you down. We're going to make you into a beautiful dining room table or, or something fantastic, whatever it may be. Or, or we just want to preserve you and love you and let you grow and be the tree that you are. And the tree doesn't say, well, I can't do that because 10 years ago there was a fire here. I'm scarred. I'm scarred for life. I had this experience. It was so hot. It was awful. The tree doesn't live like that. The tree just takes the nutrients that is around it and gathers itself up and continues to blossom. And so in the present moment, a tree is just a tree. But it doesn't carry that past with it. It doesn't step back into the gum and get stuck. It's not married to this idea that what was then is, is today. 
But it's such a great example. So what kind of tree are you? Are you a poplar? Do you grow like a weed? Or pine, which is very soft, and pine's a beautiful wood. Or are you an oak? Or a cherry tree? Or a hickory tree? Are you something solid? And are you present in whatever tree you are? It's a beautiful metaphor about life and how we show up in the world. Because trees are just trees. They just know what they are. tree doesn't pretend it's a flower. You know, it doesn't pretend it's a, a rock. It's a tree. And it's the nature and it's true to its nature. And for us, because we've been given free will and choice, we have experiences and then all of a sudden we drag those with us and then we allow them to be the outer bark. Oh, you know what? Ten years ago, someone betrayed me. Some, ten years ago, someone stole from me. Someone broke my heart. And then all of a sudden, the, the rings of growth, every year that ring gets, gets, continues to impose itself upon that current growth cycle because we are continuing to call it forth in our experience. When in fact, the opportunity is to realize that was, that was then, this is now. You know, I, I look in my own relationship with my, my beautiful wife, Laura. What brought us together when we met and, and the growth and the cycles of growth that have gone on for us as, as partners in our own life are different now. But to say, geez, I got to go back 15 years to what it was then and try to duplicate that because that was the good old days. Because when you first meet one another, anybody ever first meet somebody? <laughs> it's different. And then we find out as we go along the commonalities and the challenges and the differences of opinion. Well, I know Martin's never had that problem, but I've, I've had it. But the point is, is that if we keep pulling it up and saying, well, because you said this 10 or 15 years ago, it may not be pertinent today. And to ask those questions. But we have been given this dominion over perception because what we teach is really simple. It's the simplest thing in the world. We teach uh, spiritual living. And spiritual living is, 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 and we honor all the traditions because there's value in all the traditions. Everybody needs a mythology to attach to. I, I think we all need someone that's gone before us that can inspire us. But what it is is simply that what we teach in a nutshell is that we all have beliefs. Our beliefs are, we show up with beliefs and they are influenced by our experiences. And that influence then creates our perceptions. And our perceptions that we continue to dwell upon and give our energy to have a tendency to outpicture in our lives. So in fact, if we live in the lamb all the time and life is a struggle and, and I have to protect myself because there's a lot of lions out there looking to eat me, our perception will be based and our life experience will be based on that. Or if we're way out on the lion, uh, that you know, we're there to, to conquer and to impose our will and all of those things is a very popular idea. But the point is, all of us have been given free will. And when we don't understand, we, when, we imp, when we utilize a free will without understanding that we are all one, one planet, one people, it's very easy to use that idea and use that principle in a very immature way or in a very ignorant way. And we see a lot of ignorance on the planet. So our opportunity is not to condemn or, or blame, but to simply say, that doesn't represent me. I can't stand with that. And so it's just a matter of making those choices and showing up to the best of our ability with what we have and the experiences that we've had. And as we said, you have gifts to share. You have power, you have power to reveal. And it is that divine power. It's not the personal power. Personal power will get you a certain point, but then all of a sudden it is in the co-creation, which is the surrender and the humility, the devotion to that 
greater yet to be. And I think the tree is a wonderful example of that. The rings, the growth rings. We all have growth rings, metaphorically. I know I do in my life. The things that I'm called to now are different than the things I was called to when I got into ministry 20 years ago. My, my journey of healing and, and, and coming into greater peace. Because really, when the lion lies down with the lamb, it's a sense of peace and balance and understanding and having an awareness when I realize I'm too far out on one spectrum to pull myself back in and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Relax. Find your center again. So living consciously is the next step I want to talk about. And I have a picture of a fellow that I'm going to put up here now. I think you might recognize. Do you recognize him? A hint, okay. Do you know who that is? Yeah. 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 We know who that guy is. That's Kevin Costner. So Kevin tells this great story that I love about living consciously, and I think it's a great example of life and how, how life can get the way it is at times. And he tells the story as, a, as an actor student. He was in an acting class with a guy. And every, you know, every actor I know, myself included, was also a screenwriter and a novelist, as well as a nuclear physicist, a doctor, a lawyer, and an Indian chief as well. But anyway, in acting class, everyone's got a script they're writing or working on. So he, ha- he met this fellow actor, and he's in acting class with him. And he's just bouncing around from uh, his friend's couches, one after another. Had no place to live, just trying to make a living as an, as an author and as an actor, as a screenwriter. And Kevin said to him, look, man, why don't you, don't, don't write a screenplay, write a novel, because if it's a good novel, it'll be adapted to a screenplay. And I think that's the way, because you're going to get more, you're going to get more literary agents to read a novel than you will a, a screenplay. And so the guy got working on this novel. And he kept bouncing around from different house to different house and wearing out his welcome and everywhere he lived. And so he moved in with Kevin and his family. And Kevin kept trying to introduce him because Kevin's career was taking off. He said, I think you should meet this person. And uh, so he would come back from the meeting and say to Kevin, you know, I don't like your friends. They're just dead, dead, and all the nasty words you can think of. And he'd say, and Kevin after a while said, what is with you, man? I'm trying to help you. And every time I open a door for you, you slam it. Why do you hate these people? Stop it. And he's like, oh, these Hollywood people. And so finally one day, Kevin just said, and he, and he said, well, you know, get, get writing. I need you to get writing. Get something done. And so he was writing, but Kevin got so frustrated with this guy over time, he didn't even want to interact with him. And so at night, he'd be writing, and then he'd be, he'd be reading what he wrote to Kevin's three-year-old daughter because Kevin's wife and himself, himself would not listen to this guy anymore. They were so fed up with him. So here he is, he's reading to the three-year-old daughter, and finally Kevin one day just had enough of him because he kept complaining and whining, and he grabbed a hold of him, and he put him up against the wall, and he held him by his shirt collars and said, what is your problem? You've got to get out of here. I can't take it anymore. Go. And he says, okay, man, okay, man, I get it, I get it, I get it. And so he, Kevin calmed down, and the guy said, but I'm going to leave you my, my manuscript, so read it. And the guy went down to Arizona and found a really great job. He found a job in a Chinese restaurant washing dishes for $3.35 an hour. And he would call Kevin and he would email him and he would write to him and he'd say, could you send me money? Because, I'm, man, I'm broke and I'm lonely and I'm cold and I'm hungry. And Kevin said he sent him a, a portable stove and a sleeping bag to help him out. <laughs> That's how the relationship had, had gotten. But anyway, finally one day, Kevin read the manuscript. And he said it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And he called his friend up and said, this is incredible. 
This is a beautiful, beautiful story. And it was a script to, it was a novel about Dances with Wolves. And so Kevin just said, I knew I had to, to, to do this movie. And he couldn't find a director, so he decided he would direct it himself, not by choice, but just because of necessity. They ran $3 million over budget. They said it was going to be a folly. He had to teach, he had to find someone that could teach the indigenous actors how to speak the Lakota language. And he found a woman that, that uh, from the Lakota tribe that actually taught in a junior college in South Dakota. And she came in and taught all the actors how to speak the Lakota language. They ran over the budget $3 million and Kevin put his own money into it to finance it, to get it done. Because he just knew he had to do it. The movie was never number one in the box office, but it grossed over $400 million. And it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of an epic. It's a bit of a classic in terms of capturing that time period. You know, and there's, there's always opinions about it. But if you think about it, I mean, what it took for this guy to wake up and get it done and to stop complaining, because it's easy to sit there and complain about everybody. You know, Kevin said, then why do you keep pretending like you want to be part of Hollywood? Because you don't. I think his name was Michael Blake. He just passed away last year. He was 69 years old. He passed away. Um, it's okay. 69 is a good life. And he's on to writing other stories, I'm sure. You know, life is a continuum. But it's a fascinating story about how this whole thing came about and how he couldn't even find a, a friendly person to, to spend time with. But it's really about life will do these things for us. You know, our, the, 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 I think the gifts that are within us that are seeking expression are going to find their way through. Uh, into this world one way or another. And sometimes we can cooperate with it, but sometimes we just gotta go through the turmoil and the, and the trauma and the, uh, of the obstacles, which I think fires some of the creativity at times. But it's a, just a wonderful story. I had no idea. I just heard this story last week. and I thought, what a great story about the creative process. You know, that we're gonna step into it and it's all gonna be lovely and sweet and wonderful. And, and it can be, but for most of us, we need a good kick in the shorts to get us going sometimes. And that's what Kevin provided. So it was truly an act of love as well. You know, I, I, do we love one another? Do we love ourselves enough sometimes to hold ourselves by our shirt collar and say, what is your problem? Why do you keep doing this over and over again? Why do you keep stepping back with your tennis shoe on into the gum? Going back into the past, going 10 years back. Oh, you know what I did? I can't do that. I can't allow greater good into my life because you know what I did? I told a lie one time. So then the, the whole theme, every piece of Growth ring on us is, is plastered with liar, failure, fraud. It's like making peace with it. That's why forgiveness work is so powerful. In fact, facing the big one. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes right now. I want to do an experiential thing with you for a few minutes. Close your eyes. Just notice your breath. We're going to pull up the big one. We're going to face the big one. So right here, I'm going to invite you to just remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. Opening yourself, your heart, your mind, your consciousness to that divine presence, that eternal truth of who you are, the, the individualized expression of the one, perfect in every way. Let unconditional love fill you for yourself, for others. Think of someone perhaps that activates unconditional love in your life. Maybe it's an icon, maybe it's a parent, a friend, but someone that adores you because you are adored. And in that consciousness of unconditional love, I'm going to invite you to pull before you in your mind's eye that one person, that one experience that keeps coming up for you. Just trust whatever it is. That one that is still part of your story, that is still part of the, the growth ring of your life. 
that has set something down within you that was an experience that you've identified with but no longer need to. And in your mind's eye, I want you to pull that experience or that person forward. Maybe it's you in your youth. Maybe you were a foolish teenager, whatever it may be. But pull that person up in your mind's eye. And as that healthy adult, as that grounded, individualized expression of the one and the grace and the beauty and the dignity and the love that you are, to look that experience or that person in the eye and simply say, I forgive you and I release you. And I want you to know that what happened that was been alive within me and connected to me no longer has any power. I deny you the power. I deny you the influence and I deny you the space within my beingness as I have in the past. And I wash it out with love. And I return it and I invite you to return it to source to be renewed and transformed because that is the washing machine of spirit. It is washed clean. Because I want you to know that I have a purpose and I'm here to fulfill it. That what my gift is in beautiful and wonderful ways and perhaps it is simply to be the presence of love wherever I am. But I reveal that and share that and you can no longer restrict that. I am here to share my gifts, to develop my gifts. I am here to prosper creatively, financially, emotionally and spiritually and I wash this away and I thank you for what you've gifted me with I've learned everything there is necessary for me to live with to know and to experience and I release it and I release you and I know the same thing for you my friend or my experience you are here to live in freedom and abundance and joy in present moment that you are a beautiful oak tree tall and beautiful brilliant I see you that way and I know it for myself And so this washing clean, facing the big story, the big one, the big idea, can no longer diminish who I am, whose I am, what I'm called to be, to do, to think, and to say. I'm here to be a blessing upon this planet, to love unconditionally myself and others, to be creatively free, to be willing and open and perceptive enough to walk through the doors of opportunity where I am called, where I may serve and love and laugh, celebrate, and dance. And so I just give thanks, knowing something powerful has washed through this facility, this community, within my heart and within my consciousness. In gratitude and appreciation, together we say, and so it is. But we all have a big one. And the, and, the, and the more we can dissolve it, release it, open ourselves up to the greater yet to be, because like, the infinite is just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, ready to go. There's no gum on the infinite shoes, I'm telling you. It is just a beautiful, beautiful ring, growth ring waiting for us. So I wanted to just touch upon the practices. This is a wonderful practice that comes out of Nathaniel Braden's book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, that I want uh, to, to share with you. And it's, it's called the 5%. Face it, oh, we're going to move on here in a moment. Applying 5% more. And so I want to share with you a little short story of his. It's a personal example. He said, all of us can look back at our lives and times when we think we did not bring to some concern as much consciousness as we needed. 
We tell ourselves, if only I had thought more. If only I hadn't been so impulsive. If only I had checked the facts more carefully. If only I had looked ahead a bit. I think of my first marriage. I, when I was 22 years old, I think of all the signs apart from our youth that we were making a mistake, the numerous conflicts between us, the incompatibilities in some of our values, the ways in which at the core we were not each other's type. Why then did I proceed? Because of our shared commitment to certain ideas and ideals? Because of sexual attraction? Because I desperately wanted to have a woman in my life? And because she was the first person for whom I did not feel alienated? And I lacked the confidence that another would come along. Anybody ever done that? Boy, I better latch on to this one because I know another one's not coming along. Where does that come from? Because I naively imagined that marriage could solve all the problems between us. There were reasons to be sure. Still, if someone had said to me, or if I had somehow thought to say to myself, if you were to bring a higher level of consciousness to your relationship with Barbara and to do so steadily day after day, what do you suppose might have happened? I have to wonder what I might have been led to face and come to grips with, to a mind that is receptive, so simple yet provocative a question can have astonishing potency. So I invite you this week, and myself as well, if I bring 5% more consciousness to a significant relationship in my life and ask those meaningful questions. He's got a whole series of questions in here um, that I think are so thought-provoking. First one is living consciously to me means. What does living consciously mean to me? Not to you, but it's not a contest. He says, ask yourself that question and write down the first six things that come. Put it down in a journal. Don't look at it the next day and ask yourself that question after two weeks. Just do that for two weeks. If I bring 5% more awareness to my activities today, if I pay more attention to how I deal with people today, if I bring 5% more awareness to my most important relationships, if I bring 5% more awareness to fill in a particular problem you are concerned about, for example. So anyway, the idea being, bring in 5% more. And the reason I think is he says this is just a valuable, valuable practice he uses with all his clients. He's a therapist. Because 5% is manageable. 5% is doable. Hmm, what if I slowed down and gave 5% more to what is important to me today? And then the other practice that I think is valuable and important is to ask ourselves the question, does it bring me peace? Because peace is truly spiritual living. It's our divine nature. If we're duplicating the nature of the divine, peace would be one of the signposts of that. And so what if, if what I'm about to do will create greater peace in my life, which is the balance, the lion and the lamb lying down together and being present with that ring of growth that, that I am is the metaphor of the tree. Does it bring me greater peace? So 5% more, what would your life look like? And, I, and as you do that, if you engage in that practice, I would welcome your feedback, I would welcome your input, I would welcome your testimonial if you're willing to do that. Say, you know what, I did this for, in six months, where would it take you in your relationship, your work? Who knows? But that's using the principles of what Dr. Holmes talked about. And so many of the great teachers, as, as the teacher Jesus said, it is done unto us as we believe. What am I believing right now? And is it aligning me with greater peace, greater possibility, greater creativity? Or is it that, am I stepping right back into the gum and saying, well, I, I, I join you right now, but I'm busy here. I'm, I'm working on this wad of uh, whatever bubble gum you chew. I don't know. 
But that point is that it's our opportunity to uh, apply these spiritual principles in our lives in a meaningful way or not. We're always a choice. So thank you so much on this beautiful day. I appreciate your being able to come and, and uh, be part of this conversation and this beautiful celebration as we invite Craig Cardiff back to our platform. Craig? Thank you. <laughs>